Want to talk about a new movie? Check. Want to talk about an older movie similar or related to that new movie? Check. That's what you can expect from Quality Check Podcast. It's a new podcast on the Studio DNA Network hosted by yours truly, Drew Douglas and Daniel Posey. Every other Tuesday, we'll talk about a new movie and an old movie to see how the film's quality holds up. Do you like sports? Because we like sports. Let's talk about sports. It's Sports Check. Sports Check. It's Sports Check. And here we go, episode 271, the very first episode of 2021 of the Sports Yak Podcast. And it's the Bernie Perron episode. Bernie Perron, one of the great goalies of NHL history, was with the Flyers when they won back-to-back Stanley Cups in the early 70s. Out of Quebec, he won 271 games during his illustrious career. He's Bernie Perron. (laughs) Family Broadcasting Corporation, in association with the Studio DNA Podcast Network, presents Sports Yak. One host knows sports, and who's right there? The other doesn't know sports, but somehow they meet in the middle. Here's your host, Corey Mann. Get your big butt out of here! And Indiana Sports Broadcast Hall of Famer, this one will be relived, Chuck Freebie. Forever! What part of the game, Notre Dame, Alabama, did you go, there's no coming back from this? Where was it at in the game? You're like, this this just is not going to happen. It's 21-7 in the third quarter. And Notre Dame has stopped Alabama really for the first time all day in the second half and the Irish get the ball back and they're starting to move the football and Ian Book throws a critical interception on a play where he had Michael Mayer behind the defender and didn't get it to him and to me that was like warm up the buses it's it's time to go home up until that point even though it was 14-7 at one point, then Bama makes it 21-7 fairly quickly. Uh, you still felt like Notre Dame had a puncher's chance in the game. You know, if they get a touchdown on that drive and get another stop, you know, all of a sudden it's a ball game. Well, instead, they throw an interception. Bama goes right down the field. It's 28-7, and thanks for playing. Lovely parting gifts. Notre Dame had no answers for Devontae Smith or Najee Harris, which doesn't mean anything because nobody else has had any answers for them either. As you're watching Alabama play, and you've probably watched them this season, are they that good? Yes. Yeah. They're just good. Those two players are really, really good. That's Mm -hmm. why they're Heisman Trophy finalists. What was disappointing was that Bama's defense had given up a lot of points this year. Other teams had been able to move the ball against them and find ways to score. And here we are again on a big stage, and Notre Dame's offense comes in a clunking. Mainly because, I, in my opinion, they were not aggressive enough in trying to beat Alabama. I understand the game plan was ball control, time of possession, move it down the field. And we saw that on the 
Irish scoring drive that turned it into a 14-7 game. I mean, they just pretty much ran it down Bama's throat on that drive. But they did not take deep shots. They did not try to extend the field. And if you're not going to threaten a team by stretching the field vertically, by throwing it down the field and making defensive backs play back, Mm -hmm. then what's going to happen? They're going to stack all 11 up there against the line of scrimmage. And so you're talking about a variety of plays, not the same. You can't just run the ball on Alabama or throw short passes and expect them not to crowd the line of scrimmage okay. to try to take away the run, which is exactly what they wound up doing, and which is why Notre Dame's run game after the drive that made it 14 7 was minimal in its success. You've got a three year starter in Ian Book, who has won, and you're more than happy to tell us, he's won more games than any other Notre Dame quarterback, then show some confidence in him. Allow him to throw the ball down the field and stretch the defense somewhat. Instead, they looked at Alabama's defense and they said, well, you've got an All-American cornerback in Patrick Sertain. We can't throw at him. We can't possibly try to attack him. He's an All-American. So now you've limited yourself to half the field to throw to. And it was just too easy for Alabama to defend, and they did. I mean, the the final score of 31-14 is something of a joke because, first of all, Alabama took its foot off the gas in the second half, in my opinion. They, They could have tried to do a lot more and decided... We're not interested in running up the score. We just want to get out of here and keep everybody healthy. Mm -hmm. Uh, Secondly, Notre Dame's last seven points came well after the game had been decided. It meant something to gamblers. It didn't mean a whole lot in the competitive nature of the game. So it was once again another stage where Notre Dame, which is not one a New Year's Six Bowl game since 1994, and which has not really been competitive in any of these playoff games that they've been in, was non-competitive in a playoff game again. That led to questions being asked at the press conference. Nobody, let me make this very, very clear. Nobody is saying that Notre Dame did not have a successful season. They navigated a pandemic They went 10-0 during the regular season. They won the ACC championship. They beat the number one ranked team at their place, albeit the number one ranked team was not at full personnel. Nobody is saying Notre Dame didn't have a successful season. What everybody wants to know, and to me what they have a right to ask, is... You've shown the ability to get to the playoffs. What's the difference between getting to the playoffs and actually winning a playoff game or a national championship? What is, what's stopping that? Why has this become the plateau? To me, a legitimate question to ask the head football coach at the University of Notre Dame. Apparently, the head football coach at the University of Notre Dame did not think That was a legitimate question. He did not want to continue to hear that narrative. And then 
And and that's okay. He had said that before the game as well. He says, I don't know where this narrative comes from, but blah, blah, blah. So those answers were consistent. When he starts taking the swipe at the local media, and if you go back and you look at the Brian Kelly postgame press conference, this was on um, the third the third question wasn't really a question. There was a, an Alabama reporter who congratulated him on a successful season, which, as a journalist, I have a bit of a problem with because that's not our job. It's not our job to tell a coach, hey, congrats on a successful season. Now, some people might say, well, that's, that's being a human. That's, that's being courteous or kind. Um, my thought on that is we're there to do a job. We're there to report on the game. We're not there to give attaboys and pats on the back and things like that. That almost feels like something off mic <clears throat> if you have a relationship you with your You see him in a coach. social setting? Absolutely. Yeah, in the hallway walking by. Good job, Coach. Right. But that's not for the press conference. Yeah. Anyway, this reporter from Alabama begins what is going to be his question in that way. And Brian Kelly goes, well, thank you for saying that because none of our local media uses those kind of terms. They all have a different way of asking questions. So thank you for saying that. Well, number one, the local media had nothing to do with whether that game was won or lost anyway. Number two, the first person who brought up the question at the press conference about what it takes to get to the next level was Dennis Dodd from CBS Sports. He ain't local. Number three, the second person who brought it up was Pete Sampson, whom Kelly mentioned in the last pregame press conference probably knows the team as well as anybody. So you can't have it both ways. Now, do I do I really care what Brian Kelly thinks of me or the local media not really he was just smarting from a loss and he he was taking it out on somebody but if i were in notre dame public relations which i'm not sure how much sway they have over brian kelly Mm -hmm. i would say be careful about picking a fight with those who have pens and microphones because it's not one you're going to win, typically. Now, Brian Kelly says when he wins the national championship, he's going to be terrible to deal with in the press conference. And honestly, I hope I find that out. I would love to see Notre Dame win a national championship. What would he have meant by that? Well, because he's going to, you know, just tell everybody how wrong they were about him and his team and things like that. Okay. But the fact of the matter is, Uh, Notre Dame looked no closer to winning the national championship than they did in 2018 or in 2012. There is a chasm there. If you want my opinion on what the chasm is, the chasm is speed. When you watch Devontae Smith on the first touchdown for Alabama, the fact that neither Clarence Lewis nor Kyle Hamilton could come anywhere close to him tells you that Devontae Smith has a kind of speed that Notre Dame does not have and really hasn't had 
players with since the days of Rocket. I feel like you said this a year ago. I remember I think I asked you, what is it going to take? Speed. Yeah. Yeah. So it's nothing new. Now, if Brian Kelly wants to tell us why he's unable to recruit speed, I think everybody's all ears. And some of that might be understandable. Maybe it's the resources that places like Alabama and Clemson, Ohio State put towards football. Maybe it's facilities. Maybe some of it's geography. Maybe some of it's how recruiting is done at those schools. And maybe there's some illegal things done. I don't know. I'm just saying we're all ears as to what the reasons are. But at this point, no reasons have been given other than, you know, Brian Kelly said, well, no, nobody has stopped their personnel. That's part of the equation. Yes, their personnel is very good. But why did your personnel that went 10-0 and during the regular season lose by 24 to Clemson and 17 to Alabama? Are those teams really that much better? And if so, stop talking about a national championship. Because that's the song and dance we get every year is they're here to graduate players and win national championships. Well, the graduating players thing has not been a problem. They've been doing that. But it's now 32 years since the national championship. And Notre Dame does not seem close Mm. to winning one. Now, if you're looking at Indiana, you might say, what about winning a bowl game? Because the Hoosiers had their chance. They were matched up with Ole Miss from the SEC, a team that came in with a 4-5 and record. And Tom Allen's team couldn't get the job done in the Outback Bowl, which is a shame because they had a terrific season. Yes, they did. One of the best seasons in Indiana history. But you go into a bowl game like that, that seems very winnable, and you didn't win. And a lot of Hoosier fans I saw online were like, when are we ever going to win a bowl game? (laughs) It'll come. It'll happen. I have more confidence in that than I do the Irish winning a national championship. I had lunch with my wife yesterday and caught a little bit of the Clemson-Ohio State replay. That game puts a sour taste in my mouth. What was Ohio State's record going into that? Well, they were undefeated. But how many games did they play? 6-0. and And how many did Clemson play? Clemson was 10-1. and Yeah, I don't... That rubs me the wrong way. Well, and, and this is the big debate that's been going on here with Ohio State and these teams like Clemson and Alabama is the fact that you know, you reach a certain point in the year. If you've only played six games, how much fresher are your legs than the player teams that have played 11? Right. And that's that's a legitimate question to ask. Now, a lot of people will turn around and say, well, Clemson sat there and poked the bear an awful lot between when the playoff pairings came out and when that game was played. Dabo Swinney had turned in a vote for the coaches' poll that ranked Ohio State as number 11. He felt like they were the 11th best team in the country. And a lot had been said. And I think Ohio State came into that game and took it personally. I give Justin Fields, their quarterback, a ton of credit. He took a shot to the ribs in the first half, and you could see him wincing on every throw. And yet he threw for five touchdowns in that game. And turned in a performance for the ages. Corey, there's a there's a, a thing called QBR, quarterback rating. 
and it's basically zero to a hundred. Similar to to video games, I don't know how much football you've played on video games with with Caleb, mm-hmm. but if you have players, they'll get they'll get numbers assigned to them what their rating is, and the closer to a hundred you are, the the greater that you've played. Okay. The two quarterbacks will be playing in the national championship game. Mac Jones of Alabama against Notre Dame had a QBR of 97 on a scale of 0 to 100. Justin Fields of Ohio State had a QBR of 99. That big of a difference? You, well, it, that's not a big difference. It's all, But 99 out of 100, you couldn't play much better than what Justin Fields played. Gotcha. So he was incredible. Now, let's circle back to Notre Dame because a lot of people are getting a little antsy because people are leaving the Irish. Uh, Number one, Aaron Banks, their outstanding All-American guard, to nobody's surprise. If you're ranked an All-American on the offensive line and you don't decide to enter the NFL draft, there's something wrong with you. What year is he in? He, He would be a senior to be. Yeah. He's a junior. As a junior, you can enter the draft. He's rated as an All-American. He's going to go try to make some coin. And I don't think anybody can blame him. On your way. So now Notre Dame has to replace four of their five starting offensive linemen next year. The one good thing that came out of this Jared Patterson injury is both Josh Lugg and Zeke Correll got meaningful snaps on the offensive line during this season. So you're not going in with total inexperience. You'll have Patterson, Lug, and Correll back. You'll have three people who have started games here at Notre Dame back on that offensive line. So it's not as as huge a hole to fill as you might look at just saying, well, four out of their five starters are gone. The other thing that's happening is you're seeing some of the people that aren't playing a lot under Brian Kelly leaving and entering the transfer portal. Four players have done that so far. The biggest name that anybody would recognize is Jafar Armstrong. Jafar Armstrong is going as a graduate transfer. Now, he could have come back just like anybody could come back and play at Notre Dame next year. This year did not count against your eligibility. The NCAA said because of all the COVID restrictions and players wanting to opt out, they would not count this year against anybody's eligibility. But there comes a time when it's time to go. And Jafar Armstrong didn't get a lot of playing time this year. Basically got taken out of the running back slot and was being moved to wide receiver. And he says, I'm out. I'm going somewhere else to try to ply my trade. Three other players with eligibility have done that. And then you're hearing about the guys who are just calling a career. Brock Wright, tight end, who will probably get a look in the NFL. He's leaving. Ian Book. Technically, he could have come back, but what more was there for him to do? He's leaving. And I think you'll see that for a lot of the senior players. They're just, there's not a whole lot left to prove. Now, Kurt Heinisch, the nose tackle, is coming back. Myron Tagovailoa Mosa is coming back. So this is something to keep an eye on in the dynamic of what players are leaving, what players are coming back and where Notre Dame has to fill holes. You know what? You you just said, what more is there to come back for with Ian Book? As a fan outside looking in, that means he doesn't believe that you can win a national championship at Notre Dame because that is the one thing. Or he feels like his marketability to the NFL is as high as it's going to be. Yeah. Okay. 
because he knows there's a career after college. Right. Okay. Or at least hopes there is. Yeah. Okay. Hey, uh, any kind of educated uh, wisdom on how many players leave for the NFL but do come back and finish their education? Oh, I think most of them do that. Yeah, pretty high. It's, first of all, it's strongly encouraged, not only by the athletic administration or by Brian Kelly. Most of the time, it's their parents. It's their parents saying, hey, look, you're this close yeah. to getting the Finish diploma. strong. Finish it out and get it because an NFL career does not last that long. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, you can make good money. But what are you going to do with that money? And how are you going to use it to make the changes that you want to make? So I would say almost all of them come back. When we look to the spring for Notre Dame, and we probably won't talk Notre Dame football much until spring football starts, but to me there are four areas where they really have to do some work. Number one, they've got to hire a new defensive coordinator. Clark Lee has left. He's gone to Vanderbilt. He's the head coach there. So they have to find somebody to be the new defensive coordinator. There are rumors that Mike Elko, who was a defensive coordinator before he left for Texas A&M, wants to come back. There's also Mike Elston, who's already on staff. And then there are probably other people outside the program that they want to take a look at. Number two, they have to find a new quarterback. They've had Ian Book now for three years. Who's going to be the new signal caller next year? Will it be Brendan Clark? Will it be Drew Pine? Will it be this new freshman coming in, Tyler Buckman? We don't know. They have to do not only the replacement on the offensive line, but the defensive line. They lose their, both their starting defensive ends. And then they have to find some wide receivers. Now, I know when I posted this the other day, there were a lot of people on social media that felt like, well, he's got wide receivers. They're sitting on the bench, and he doesn't play them. I don't know how you can tell a wide receiver who's sitting on the bench that you haven't seen play is any good. You know, are you basing this on what they did in high school? Are you basing it on the flashes you've seen from them in games when they're healthy, a.k.a. Braden Lindsay and Kevin Austin? I don't know. I don't know if they're good or not. We won't know until they take the field. But those are four areas where Notre Dame's got to do some work in spring football to find some answers. I thought you'd say speed. Well, overall, they've got to recruit some speed. I don't know that they have the speed sitting on the bench mm-hmm. to make a difference. If they do, then the bigger question would be, why is all that speed sitting on the bench? Now, Braden Lindsay's fast. He's a track man, but he's constantly hurt. Kevin Austin's fast, but he was hurt all year. Couldn't help. Mm. And then there's a kid on the bench named Jordan Johnson who came in with a huge reputation, five-star receiver, or or major four-star receiver, let's put it that way. We didn't see him all year. So he redshirted. We'll more than likely see him next year, but okay, what are we going to see? We don't know. You ready to segue to the Bears? <laughs> I, can give you a, I can give you a bridge to the Bears real quick. I was listening to a commercial on one of our uh, other local stations. They were talking about you can hear the Bears game here, and they were using former Notre Dame yep. players, which I thought was interesting. Manti Teo's name was in there. Who's on the practice squad? He's on the practice squad. Yeah. Did I, you watch I, any of that uh, documentary last night? I did not. Did you? I, I recorded it. I saw a tweet, and I'm like, oh, I kind of want to watch this. It's It's been a while since I revisited that story. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So a documentary on the catfishing of Manti Teo for the whole girlfriend thing, mm-hmm. etc. Okay. Yeah, I might go back and watch that, but 
It was late. I knew I had to get up early for the first time in a couple weeks. So. You and me both. <laughs> I passed on that one. Let's talk about the Chicago Bears, who are in the NFL playoffs with a record of 8-8. Eight and eight. The Bears played Green Bay yesterday. Now, it was touted by many as a must-win game. And you know what I saw from the Bears? A lot of what I saw from Notre Dame on Friday. I saw a Bears team that wanted to possess the ball and play ball control and do that to a certain extent. And you asked me, the first question you asked me about Notre Dame was, when did I know that game was over? I'll tell you when I knew the Bears game was over. Bears are down by five in the fourth quarter. They have been converting fourth downs all day. They are four for four on fourth down conversions. They have a fourth and less than a yard in Packers territory. I remember this play. And they line up in the shotgun, and immediately I say, I don't like this. I don't like it at all. They had just successfully converted a quarterback sneak on the fourth down conversion earlier. But instead, they go with the shotgun. They go with an empty backfield. And they roll Mitch Trubisky out to his right. And the entire Packer defense comes with him. And he's got no open receivers. And he tries to throw it, and it's knocked down. Almost an interception. Almost an interception. Smarter play to knock it down because then you get the ball where the line of scrimmage was. Yeah. Matt Nagy, once again, now I know he's turned over the play-calling duties to Bill Lazor, but whoever, whether it's Nagy or Lazor, once again, the Bears getting too cute on offense. It didn't help that they also at times got too cute on defense with Chuck Pagano, the defensive coordinator. Why you've got a linebacker covering a wide receiver on a blitz is beyond me. But the Bears tried to blitz. They tried to get pressure on Aaron Rodgers. And they tried to cover Vontez Stallings with Danny Trevathan. And they might as well have been trying to cover Devontae Smith with you and me. <laughs> I mean, that was not going to work. And Vontez Stallings whoop, went right by Danny Trevathan. And Aaron Rodgers hit him in stride. And 75 yards later, that's a touchdown. I don't understand the Chicago Bears. Um, Mitch Trubisky is now 6-3 and three as the start of this year, and I know he's got his supporters out there who say, we're tired of hearing bad stuff about Mitch, and this game wasn't Mitch's fault, and things like that. You may be right, and I don't think the game plan did Mitch a whole lot of favors, much like I don't think Notre Dame's game plan did Ian Book a whole lot of favors. But do you have any confidence that the Bears are going to win at New Orleans next Sunday. Do you have any confidence None. that the Bears are a legitimate Super Bowl contender? Let's face it. If the NFL does not expand the playoffs to seven teams this year, the Bears don't get in. And maybe they shouldn't be in. They're 8-8. Eight and eight. They're not what I would call a Super Bowl contender. Now, that's in the NFC. The AFC is a completely different story with the Colts. The Colts are the seventh seed in the AFC. So you can legitimately say, hey, Chuck, you said the Bears wouldn't get in. Well, the Colts wouldn't have gotten in either. 
Well, that would have been a crying shame because they're 11 and 5. And yet, they still struggled with Jacksonville yesterday. A Jacksonville team playing the former Bear Mike Glennon at quarterback instead of Gardner Minshew. A Jacksonville team that is probably going to fire its head coach today. And then the next move they make will be hiring the general manager with the instruction, by the way, you're drafting Trevor Lawrence number one. (laughs) Get this right. Yeah. So the Colts struggled with Jacksonville yesterday, but the Colts came out and ran the football. Boy, did they ever. They've got a rookie running back by the name of Jonathan Taylor out of Wisconsin who ran for 253 yards yesterday, a franchise record. Ran for over 1,000 yards, first Colts rookie to do that since Edron James, and ran the Colts right into the playoffs with a 28-14 win over Jacksonville. The Colts are the wild card in the AFC South after Tennessee banked in a field goal at the gun yesterday to beat Houston. So now the Colts, 11-5, have to go up and play Buffalo Saturday afternoon at 1. A Buffalo team... That exploded for 56 points against Miami yesterday. And honestly, he is playing as well as anybody in the NFL. Hmm. So both the Colts and Bears have qualified for the playoffs. Congratulations. I would plan on early exits for both. (laughs) Now, can the Colts beat Buffalo? Yeah, I think so because I think the Colts' defense is, is pretty good. And Buffalo's not going to be scoring 56 on them. But Buffalo's playing really, really well right now. Do the Colts have a new quarterback next year, do you think? You know, or that's, is that... that's a really good question. Um, there were people that asked Phillip Rivers if he thought that you know could be his last game yesterday. Before hmm. They were asking before the game if the Colts didn't make the playoffs, could that be your last game? And he says, you know, I, I've thought a little bit about that, but I'm – not focusing on that right now. I'm focusing on this team. But I think most people expect the Colts to have a new quarterback next year. I don't think that's etched in stone. But I think most people think that the Colts will either be drafting or shopping for a new quarterback. And and is it a quarterback that can come in right away and get to work? Well, it's going to have to be. It's going to have to be if you're going to make that step. Yeah. The question would be, if you're the Indianapolis Colts, does that give you a better chance to win than a 39-year-old Phillip Rivers? Hmm. And the question you have to ask yourself if, the, if you're the Indianapolis Colts, what, what is your plan for the future? You know, Because you're not going to continue to just get these rental quarterbacks. You've got to build a quarterback at some point. It's clear that you don't think Jacoby Brissett is the answer. He would be the quarterback right now. So you've gone with Phillip Rivers, hoping that he could do what he has done, get you to the playoffs, and give you a shot at getting to the Super Bowl. But at some point, Jim Irsay and the Colts have to ask themselves the question, what is our five-year plan And I realize five-year plans are the death of coaches and general managers because lots of times they don't get five years anymore. Mm -hmm. But you got to have a plan to build this team so that it's got some long-term success. Name me uh, the high-end quarterbacks going into the NFL possibly from this current 
corral of players. Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence. Ian Book. Mm, I'm not sure Ian Book is looked at as high end. Okay. I would say Justin Fields, okay. Ohio State, Mac Jones, Alabama. Those three, Those three are probably the high-end guys right now. Okay. So, but they're going to be rookies. The NFL is a lot different than college. Sure. I mean, in a college, for instance, okay, uh, Mac Jones for Alabama is playing Notre Dame in the college football playoff. Notre Dame's got an 18-year-old freshman out there, cornerback named Clarence Lewis, who's playing the best he can, but... He's 18, and it's his first year of college football, and you can pick on him a little bit. You get to the NFL, you're playing against grown men, and there ain't a whole lot of people out there that you can pick on a little bit. I mean, you might have some matchups that favor you. The other thing is, everybody else on defense is not just the cornerback. 11 men out there are grown men, and they're – Economic status depends on nailing you into the turf. <laughs> That's a whole lot different game than playing against the guy that might be an engineering student. And, yeah, he's playing college football, and he's he's really good to be playing at this level, but he ain't good enough to get paid. Yeah. Okay. So that's that's the big difference between the NFL and college. The the rest of the NFL, it'll be an interesting offseason. The Jets have already fired Adam Gase. They did that yesterday. Most people expect Jacksonville to fire Doug Marone today. He is their head coach. There has been some talk that Urban Meyer is being targeted by the NFL, and particularly by Jacksonville, to come out of retirement and come coach in the NFL. We'll see if that happens. You hear Urban's name come up for a lot of different things, and so far he's still broadcasting at Fox. And then there's the question about what will the Lions do? The Lions have two Zoom interviews today uh, with possible coaches. One is Robert Saleh, who is the defensive coordinator for the 49ers. And the other is Eric Bieniemy, who is the offensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, the problem for the Lions right now is they still have to hire a general manager, too. Now, a lot of people think that might be Lewis Riddick, who was an analyst on Monday Night Football this year. Former... Um, GM, I believe, in the NFL, and highly regarded. But we'll see. I mean, the, the Lions have a lot of work to do. They got they got hosed yesterday on a call I posted on Twitter. You can go back and look at it. It's one of these plays where there was a sack, and the referee says that the defensive player drove the quarterback into the ground, so he flagged him 15 yards. How are you supposed to sack him? Are you supposed to cradle him in your arms and gently lay him down? Look for a manger, perhaps? I don't know. But apparently that's not allowed in professional football anymore. You just can't come and tackle the quarterback and land on him. Mm. If you tackle him, please land to the left or the right. Ridiculous. But nevertheless, the Lions have a lot of work to do. That's not exactly a newsflash. That's why they fired Matt Patricia midway through the season. But look for some hirings and firings in the NFL in the next week or two. Let's wrap up with some basketball talk and possible breaking news. Well, let's let's start with um, we'll start with basketball. We'll start with Notre Dame. <laughs> the Irish 
had to switch opponents last week because they were scheduled to play Pitt. Pitt had the COVID, so they wound up playing North Carolina Saturday. Now, normally you would say, ooh, well, trading Pitt for North Carolina, that's, you know, that's a bad trade. Except North Carolina hadn't won an ACC game yet this year either. So Not the North Carolina we remember. No, no. They came in with a record of 5-4 and four overall, I think. And Notre Dame went down there, and Nate Leshesky played very well, and the Irish had a chance to win, and they needed a bucket at the end, and somehow the ball got into the hands of Jawan Durham for about a mid-range jumper. Now, you talk to people around the program, that's a shot Jawan Durham can hit, but he didn't. And the Irish lose again, and they're 3-6, and six, and they're 0-3 in the ACC, and they've got injury problems again. Trey Wirtz, who had played so well in a couple of games for the Irish, got hurt in the game against Virginia and went out. And it's hard to say when he's going to come back. And they still don't have Robbie Carmody back. And so they're shorthanded. But it, it becomes fatiguing. It becomes fatiguing trying to follow this Notre Dame basketball team. And I'm, I'm sure our boy Tom Noy would come on and say, it's just one thing after another. And there's a lot of there are a lot of people that want a change in the coaching spot. You know, there's fatigue there too with Mike Bray. He's been here twenty years now, and people wonder if the fire is still there or what he can do. Now Mike Bray's not the cause of injuries, but the fact of the matter is he hasn't recruited enough depth to get his team through these kind of spots. And they're three and six, and honestly, not a ton of fun to watch. So we'll see if they can right the ship, but it's not looking good right now for Notre Dame basketball. Let me put you on the spot. Who is fun to watch? I think Purdue is fun to watch, but their their problem is they're, I think, a year away. They're very young. Yeah. And they've got some talented players. Jaden Ivey played really well last week i mean really well and yet they lost us on saturday to illinois 66 58 and they're down towards the bottom of the big 10 and then indiana which plays tonight against maryland 8 p.m on 103.1 fm uh indiana has had its struggles as well and yes trey galloway freshman Good player to watch. I mean, you watch him play, and that's the way basketball should be played. Gets after it defensively, shares the basketball, makes the smart play. But there's just not enough people on Indiana that do that right now, and the Hoosiers are on the struggle bus as well. So really, it's not the best time for college basketball in the state of Indiana. Both the Big Ten teams are struggling. Notre Dame is struggling. Here's one piece of good news for you from college basketball in Indiana. Our partners at Wish TV came out this morning with some breaking news that apparently later today, the city of Indianapolis will announce that it has come to an agreement with the NCAA to host the entire 2021 men's basketball tournament in the bubble of Indianapolis. And you were asking me earlier today, well, what does that mean? Where will games be played? You know, and when you stop to think about it, Indianapolis has a fair number of colleges that could host events. They have Butler with Hinkle Fieldhouse. They have Marion University 
which is, I realize, NAIA, but the court is the same length. They have the University of Indianapolis, and they have IUPUI. Then, also not that far away, is the Assembly Hall in Bloomington, and not that far away is Mackey Arena at Purdue. So there are plenty. On top of Banker's Life. On top of Banker's Life or Lucas, Lucas Oil. Oil. Yeah. Which, couldn't you split that field in half and have two actual? You probably could. Two? Uh, you probably you, could you know, Lucas Oil. When it comes time to knock all these games out? So there are a lot of ways that they'll have an opportunity to tackle this. Yeah. Uh, of course, they've got to work with their TV partners because the NCAA tournament is a made-for-TV extravaganza right now. So they'll have to work with CBS and TNT and all that group to make sure that the facilities are such where they can think they can house. But when you're talking about all these D1 schools that I just rattled off, obviously they can accommodate TV. Mm-hmm. And then the question is, well, what will the policy be for admitting fans. Because currently at bas- college basketball games in the state of Indiana, it's just basically family members and coaches' guests. But for Indianapolis Colts games, they've allowed like a 20, 25% capacity. And who knows by the time March rolls around with the vaccine and everything what the attendance accommodations will be. So it could be a huge windfall for the city of Indianapolis. I think it will be anyway in terms of hotels, restaurants, food, all that stuff that goes into tourism. Our boy Nate Swick, who joins us on Pulse, will be very happy about this announcement. Big shot in the arm on that one. Yeah. So that's that's the big news from today for college basketball. Okay. That's one healthy Monday episode back in 2021. It's a lot of ranting from Uncle Chuck. Um, I try not to let my personal feelings get in the way. I try to lay it out for you as I see it. Could I be wrong on some things? Well, of course, that's possible. It happened once in 1972, so it could happen again. I heard a quote just this morning. I think it was Ty Cobb that said, you can brag about it if you've actually done it. Yeah, <laughs> actually. You want to end on an overrated, underrated? Sure. Want to do a quick What round? do you got? Netflix. Ooh. Underrated or overrated? Well, I would have to say, based on the concept and being kind of the pioneer in what they are able to do, I would say underrated. Yeah. I, I just think when you take a look at what they've been able to do with that company, to take it from, from where it was, remember, we're both old enough to remember when Netflix would send you a, a CD in the yeah. mail. Yes. Or you would have like a little vending machine at the store. Yeah, I totally remember that. And now to what they are with the streaming and producing their own shows, I, I would say that is one of the underrated success stories of media in the 21st century. I'm going to agree with you. Now, there's some shows that are overrated oh, on yeah. the actual streaming um, platform, but I say as a whole, that one kind of leads the way, in my opinion. Absolutely. How about you? Dire Straits. Oh, boy. Man, 1984 or 85, that Brothers in Arms record mm-hmm. was massive. 
I remember hearing it in the hallways on the jam boxes, hearing it in the cars. You get your money for nothing and your chicks for free. Great line. Um, Not to mention Sultans of Swing from back in the 70s. Yeah. So far away from me, I would say underrated. I would, too. I don't think they get nearly the credit. I don't think Mark Knopfler gets the credit that he deserves. You listen to the guitar riffs in Sultans of Swing. Yeah. I mean, there's some there's some pretty heady guitar playing going on there. I, I like me some Dire Straits. I feel like I watched a 60 Minutes with him. No, no, no. What's the Sunday morning program? CBS Sunday morning. Yeah, I yeah. saw a segment on him, and I went back and listened to a couple of uh, like previous stuff from their catalog. I'm in agreement with you. Underrated. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. So, kids, go out and find yourself some Dire Straits on the streaming apps that you have. Uh, you know, when you're not listening to this podcast. Music trivia question. Who is that that sings, I want my... Is that Sting? That is Sting for the win. Hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode, whether it's from the past archive 270 episodes or this brand new one that we lay in your lap right here. Number 271, I say you're on Twitter, aren't you? I am. At My name is Corey. You as well. At 46 Sports. Until uh, next time, my friends, Ooga Bernie Perron. <laughs> oh, wait, wait. We've had some fun. Yeah, the show is done. Now we gotta run. It's Sportcheck. Sportcheck. Sportcheck is not filmed in front of a live studio audience. We done. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.